Welcome to the PR Week, PR Week's regular weekly rundown of everything that matters in the worlds of PR and communications. My name's Steve Barrett. I'm the Editorial Director of PR Week, going to guide you gently through another show, another busy week in the worlds of PR. And uh, I'm joined by Frank Washcook, our Executive Editor. How are you doing, Frank? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on, Steve. Are you excited about the 40 Under 40 dinner tomorrow night? I'm very excited. What do you think is on the menu? Chicken? I don't know. No, we have steak as well. Can't go wrong with chicken. Food's always good at PR Week events. So yeah, we're looking forward to that. Actually, we're recording on Wednesday, so um, it might be Thursday by the time you listen to this, but that's going to be big. And uh, we'll chat to Frank about the big stories of the week. Kanye, how could we not talk about him? Agency holding company financials and other high-profile earnings. Davos in the desert. What's that all about? And who's participating? McDonald's McRib has gone on tour and the usual bunch of people moves. But we've got a fantastic guest. We've got Sophia Falecka, who's an account director at Source Code Communications. And he's going to talk to us about the Diversity Marketing Consortium, exciting initiative that uh, Sophia was part of launching. Sophia, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing? Good, good. Thank you for having me, Stephen Frank. Pleasure to have you here. So first of all, tell us about the Diversity Marketing Consortium. It's uh, We've been writing stories about it this year, especially. It's a group of agencies doing some really great work by the sounds of it. Just talk us through it. Yeah. So, you know, the Diversity Marketing Consortium launched a little over two years ago now in in early, it was July 2020. And it's really with this idea of helping level the playing field for underrepresented founders by providing pro bono marketing and communication services. What I've personally found to be really enriching and beautiful about the DMC is really how it got started. Back in early 2020, actually it was a former colleague of mine and friend, Sal Pile. She had come to me and mentioned, you know, that she had heard of a a startup that was looking for a PR team. And that's how the introduction to Harlem Capital came about, which is one of the VC partners that we have. So through conversations with the startup, we had really wanted to work with them. They were two diverse women. And but unfortunately, with their business due to budgets, we weren't able to work together. But that got us thinking. And also in this talks with Harlem Capital, they're like, well, what can we do? At Source Code, we've always wanted to be able to do more and invest in DE&I, but also think about, are there other things and charitable components that we can invest in? And, and it really led us to being able to, to think about this idea, which is I think kind of ironic because it's even the story and the example of how it started, it represents what we do now. Thinking about another person in PR coming and also supporting this uh, diverse you know, startup and, and being able to work together, that's exactly what the DMC does now. So you know, now two and a half plus years later, we're 10 agencies strong and we've supported over 30 plus companies. And really our work is to be able to make sure that we change the face of corporate America and hopefully the boardroom. So how does it work, Sophia? Do the agencies do the work pro bono or does that sort of get um, supported by Harlem Capital as part of the arrangement? What What's the actual business arrangement there? Yeah, that's a good question. So the way that it works is we have a mix of startups that we work with, um, whether they are 
like port coast, as we call it, coming from Harlem Capital or other startups, um, you know, outside of them, everyone applies to the DMC. We have our application on our website. And the requirements really are that the founding team must either have a person of color or woman as a part of the the team um, on the founding board. And then we also look to see that, of course, within their budgets that, you know, it's not these services are not something that they might typically be able to afford. And and through their applications, we review them and look to see based on their services and the team that we have available, how we can support them. Uh, We tend to offer it's about like a three months uh, engagement. So thinking of them almost as like mini campaigns in the way that we work with them. And we really it's, you know, each agency has that's a part of the DMC has a client that they will work with. Tell us about some of the other agencies that are on board as well as source code and how how that evolved, because it seems like more and more agencies want to get involved with this. It does. Yeah, it's been it's been great to see, you know, we um, over the years, you know, we've doubled in size a little bit more than that, actually, since we first started. You know, we work with um, like Clarity, um, Ink House is a new one that just joined us, uh, Praytel, Racepoint. Superbolt and a number of others, Peppercom and Number 29, as well as Cheer Partners and, and Max Borges. I think that's actually all 10. They are all a part of our team. And I actually was a part of a team that um, I was able to. So behind the scenes, I help kind of run the day to day of the DMC, but have also worked with one of our startups, Nora Health, which is a nonprofit. And it's, it's been great to see, I think, in the engagements, we sit down the way we would with any client and do a bit of an intake and see what exactly do they need most right now. If, if for the PR, it would, or PR side of things, we may look at, you know, okay, do they have upcoming announcements? Again, three months is short, but it's enough time to really be able to give them the foundational kind of like skills and, and hopefully obviously press that they need to, to get them going. And we've seen a lot of great feedback. I, I think... I've personally, from the outside, from the stories we've heard from the other agencies, as well as what I personally heard from some of the startups myself, um, it's it's honestly beautiful, like the things they've had to share and how much impact that this has made. And I think I think we can all agree in PR, as much work and pride that we take um, in everything that we do, when you see how much it really resonates with your client and knowing that this is really also just kind of being a catalyst for change, it does a little bit more for you. Yeah, that's great. Give us some of the, give us an idea of some of those stories. Give us some in, examples or illustrations of the change that it's made. Yeah, I, you know, um, I think some of them, it's just been that maybe it's the coverage that they've been able to to secure. I mean, I think it's really just knowing that also that people are willing to, to go and invest their time. They know that, but to me, I think from what I've seen is that this was support that they haven't ever been able to get. And when you're at the early stage of any company, the marketing and communication stories that are the investment, the time that you can get to be able to lift it off the ground, it's just been the appreciation that we actually care to to work and do this and offer it up knowing that if we weren't doing it pro bono, they wouldn't necessarily have this large of a team. Um, You know, we've heard from agencies where, or clients, I should say, that have had, maybe it's like one person on the team who's running something, you know, running communications. And now they're getting a team of three to four people. And so just knowing that there's someone to bounce ideas off of um, and and have an extended member of their their team has been really, really helpful. What would you say is the incident that you thought, yeah, this is what this is all about. This is what we 
aim to do and is there an example you can give us like uh, that really sort of hit them hit the mark i mean frankly for you know i don't know if there's one solid example i've what i can say is two things is I'll say personally, as someone who identifies with both of these groups, I think there's been a power to be able to see other people reflected in in the day-to-day business, right? So I think, so this got started at the height of the pandemic. We saw the Black Lives Matter movement. We were talking a lot about DE&I um, across not just PR, but across you know different industries. And I think to be able to see these founders be able to get the time and support that they've needed and also just the influx of interest um, in the representation that's been had um, personally has been moving to see. But I also think on the reverse to be able to know that there has been this impact of change Um, on the same time. It's even to know, you know, I sit on a lot of interviews uh, at the company and even see it listening to other teams and also even working with all of the rest of the members of the DMC. And when talking to them, it's, you know, so many people come in and this is something that they care about too. And so I think it's knowing that there's this like almost ripple of uh, like this ripple effect that's been happening, but also that we're not the only ones. It's not siloed just to these people that have these jobs, but like younger people coming in or even just other employees that want to be a part of it. And I think it is the growing change that's kind of been um, the fact that, like, as you said, more and more people have come on um, is that this is only the beginning and that, that there's more interest to go beyond what we've already done. Yeah. So for the agencies involved, I guess it's helps attract talent because they want to work on those sort of projects as well as, you know, the big corporates, et cetera. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it definitely helps attract talent. I think also internally, it's been able to to be something that, you know, to give teams more opportunities in addition to the work that they're doing. You think we've seen there's a lot of like, I mean, the DMC itself is very cause related. And so being able to be a part of it, I've had a number of people at Source Code I know that have talked about wanting to join. Um, and, you know, once there's room if in their, you know, their time and resourcing to join on, but also it's, I think, beyond it is that we're, we're walking the walk and going beyond just talking the talk. I think it's a chance for agencies to come together and, and do a bit you know, more work in together versus maybe how we're normally all trying to go after business. It's, it's a chance to actually use our services to, to do good and hopefully make some change. Yeah, now tell us what the idea is that once you've done your three months with a client, is the idea that then they would get to a stage where they can start paying the agency or how does that work in terms of a transition or does it just kind of stop for a bit? It, it varies depending on if like, you know, the where each company is at and, and scale. There have been moments like I think where it has led to potentially being able to see like, is this something that can continue whether now or in the future as a potential, you know, long term client outside of the DMC, if not at least being able to set them up to where they have the tools that they need to move forward. So it normally does end around that three month time period. There's obviously a little bit of help as we kind of set them off. But so I guess there's not really necessarily a one size fits all. It really just depends on what makes most sense for each company. And finally, Sophia, tell us what the plans are to develop this network. It's growing nicely, some lots of different agencies coming on board. So what's the plans for development over the next 12 months? And also, if you're an agency that wants to get involved or a client that wants to maybe uh, apply for um, some support, what? how does that work? Yeah. So 
In the next 12 months, I mean, the idea is to keep growing. I mean, we also, I, I guess a bit of a teaser and more to come soon, but we are trying to think about ways of expanding beyond just PR and marketing services. We know that, you know, there's a lot more that these startups need. And so um, thinking about what does that look like? So more to come on that, but also, like you said, I think, you know, we do our best work when we all work together and having more people on to be able to support the growing number of clients that we continue to see. So um, we would love to have, you know, more agencies be on board. And of course, the clients are, are the part of this. So if anyone is interested in joining, I think our website is the best place to go. It's just diversitymarketingconsortium.com. And yeah, um, we'd love to have them. And what about source code? Because at some point, this could get so big, it's going to be like a full-time thing to manage it. How is that yeah. going to work with uh, with all the leaders at source code? You know, that is a great question. Um, and that would be a really great <laughs> That would be a we'll great problem. Greg, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'll have to bring him in on this. No, but it would be a really great problem to have. And I hope, you know, I look forward, I'll say, to the day that we get there. I mean, it's already growing rapidly. And, and we try to like share, while... While source code, of course, like takes the lead on this. I mean, all of our agency partners are very much a part of this. Like we're all one team. I mean, everyone's been really contributing. We write blog content. We are trying to, you know, build out social. So there's a lot of stuff. But um, while we are definitely the face, there's many more players a part of it. So uh, much more to come. Well, congrats on this initiative. We've loved following it and we'll continue to do so. And it's uh, it's a brilliant thing to do and doing some real good. So uh, well done and uh, keep up, keep it up. Thanks. Frank, let's talk about the big news of the week. Can you? You can't get away from this story, can you? First of all, tell us what, you know, what happened and how his brand has been um, cancelled is the right word, but certainly lots of brands have disassociated themselves with him this week after some of his public statements. Yeah, he's um, he's certainly become toxic uh, for brands to be working with. It all started out when he was at uh, Paris Fashion Week and he was wearing a White Lives Matter t-shirt, which is obviously offensive to a lot of people. And then in a number of interviews, he he made anti-Semitic remarks. He asserted that George Floyd uh, wasn't murdered, but died from fentanyl use. Um, And so um, organizations began to cut ties with him. The fashion house Balenciaga cut ties with him. And the big one that everybody was waiting on was Adidas, in which he has uh, a long and long-term deal with to do the Yeezy brand. And people were watching this closely, and I know a lot of our readers were watching it closely because I saw it on social media, because it, it this review that Adidas was doing took about two weeks, and people were definitely running out of patience. But just this week, Adidas cut ties with Kanye, and they said... In a statement, it's going to have a short-term negative impact of up to 250 million euros on the company's net income in 2022, given the seasonality of the fourth quarter. So they're definitely taking a financial hit. Um, I think it took a bit too long, it's fair to say, for most people's most people's patience ran out, uh, especially considering you know Adidas's history and the, the history of the founders with the Nazis. I think they should have acted sooner. I'm sure there's some legalese we didn't know about. Yeah, people speculated there that they did they have to dot a few I's and cross T's on the legal side before they came out and made a statement like that. But I still think they needed to be a bit more self-aware about their own history and act more quickly on this, especially given what he said and how dangerous it is. And um, Yeah, and then there's his sports agency, um, which a couple of... 
players have uh, resigned from as well, isn't it? A few have. Now, it remains to be seen what's going to happen to that organization at large. We'll keep an eye on that. But yes, like you said, a few of athletes have stepped away from that. Sophia, what did you make of it as uh, someone who's, you know, I'm sure been well aware of the Kanye brand and brand associations with uh, celebrities? What was your take on the whole thing? I mean, I agree with Frank that I think it took quite a bit too long. I feel like for years now, frankly, I mean, I think that this was kind of the the straw that broke the camel's back, if you want to put it quite simply. But I think he's been someone who has said, you know, quite a bit of um, and represented, you know, the things that he's showcased. It's It's been quite repulsive over time. And I think that Adidas finally made the right move. And I think we're seeing a lot of brands, you know, finally falling behind. But I think at large, what it really says is that there is a really big power in community and making sure that your brand reflects the ethos of, or like truly follows, you know, um, its own ethos. And, and, you know, similar to kind of what we were talking about earlier, you're walking the walk, right? Like you can say a lot of things and, and say that you, you care about, you know, your people and your consumers, but you represent people. You have an internal team and externally. And and what is this saying versus where you're kind of putting your money and, and the faces that you're representing? Yeah, I agree with you that um, it's, you know, he's been building up to this for a, a long while. Um, but it's, uh, yeah, it's, it seems like something that was going to happen, doesn't it, Frank? Yeah, I would add to this too. I, I think a tipping point in this was you had that you had a series of anti-Semitic incidents that took place in Los Angeles over the weekend, the most most famously and most viral being the those kids hanging the banner over the one freeway. And it's you know, it's it's scary given the the history of the topic. But it's also I, I think it really goes to show just the influence he he has over a lot of young people and uh, where they get their information from. Um, and I, th- I think that shouldn't be underestimated in terms of when they acted. Yeah, I think I, I agree, Frank. And there was a story in, in the post this morning about someone who was assaulted late Saturday night, early Sunday morning, and had their who, who's uh, clearly uh, Orthodox Jew, and you know had their um, yamolka swiped off the head, etc. And and it just encourages that like, when we had the anti Asian attacks in light of the rhetoric around the Asian flu. You know, you have words are powerful, right? We're in the, we're in the communications business here and you have to be aware of what your words can do. And these, these, this stuff has big implications. So yeah, it's, um, it's unfortunate. It really is because, uh, you know, Kanye's in many ways, he's a genius or he's a, he's incredibly innovative and, and talented, but you have a responsibility with it. And there are other big voices in social. We were talking about it in the newsroom this week, weren't we, with people like Elon Musk or or your Joe Rogans or whatever, who also have massive followings amongst uh, especially young people and have a responsibility. So I guess, Sophia, from the PR agency point of view, when you're working with influencers or celebrities, you have to really assess all this before you um, team up with them. You do. You have to really do your due diligence. And I think, think ahead. And also, you know, to your point, though, too, it's like, there's a lot, you know, if we talk about Adidas and how they took their stance, well, there's a lot to what's being said that Kanye had never said to begin with. But as a brand, being quiet says a lot, right? There were people that were waiting, there were instances that happened. And so I think the the fact of, and we've seen this throughout so many other instances over time over the past few years is, 
there is a timeliness to, and not because just rushing to say something to say something, but recognizing that our voices and as brands and as influencers, whoever they may be, have power. So, so yeah, you know, we definitely have to make sure even more so now. I mean, look, like we have things like TikTok and things that are traveling, you know, in social media where everything is traveling faster than it ever did before. Um, and it just takes a second. So um, really being intentional and thoughtful about who we work with and represent and is, yeah, it's, it's important. Yeah, so true. TikTok is a behemoth, right? And it's, it's slightly worrying, actually, how it's, <laughs> yeah. it's incredibly, it can superpower a brand, but it, it, it can kill a brand as well. Um, Frank, let's talk about agency holding company financials. WPP, IPG and Havas were the, the remaining uh, groups that uh, reported in the last few days. A bit more mixed than last week, a bit less bullish. Uh, starting with Havas, which of course is now a part of Vivendi. Now they don't break out their PR earnings, uh, but their overall revenue has slowed down to 3.9% in the third quarter. Uh, meanwhile, over at uh, Interpublic Group, what we know is that the PR firms in IPG, which of course include Weber Shanwick, Golan, Current, and a few others, uh, posted single-digit growth in Q3. That's opposed to the holding company as a whole reporting almost 6% organic revenue growth. Um, and that is a slowdown from the double-digit growth that they saw in Q3 2021. Uh, it's also a bit less than uh, the PR firms within Omnicom Group, which posted almost 13% revenue increase in Q3. Now, just Wednesday morning, we have WPP, uh, and their PR arm has grown 5.8% in Q3 year over year. And that compares to it's it's a bit of a slowdown quarter on quarter from when they were up more than seven percent uh, in Q2. So Omnicom looks to be the top performer in terms of PR agency groups in Q3. Yeah, and I noticed that WPP was doing a comparison with 2019 and trying to sort of spin it that way and saying they were 17% up. What did you make of that? Obviously, last year was a terrifically strong year for all agencies. We saw that in the agency report. So to produce good growth on top of that, such as Omnicom did last week, was in, was incredible, frankly. But what about this whole aspect of comparing to pre-COVID? Well, I think it's interesting in some ways, but I don't think it's a, it's a totally realistic um, or representative way of showing how much growth you have when you can compare it to 2021. I think if it was last year, I might feel differently. I think it does go to show, though, it's it's a bit of a strange economy right now. Clearly, there is still growth. I mean, firms are not seeing the, the bottom falling out, maybe not as much growth as they would like. Maybe there is some client pullback given inflation and given recession fears, but the floor not you know, firmly underneath the firms right now. Yeah, and we'll get into that a bit more in a moment. Let so- me add one thing about WPP first, um, and that was that they noted on their earnings call that one thing stressing their net income is their investments in people and data. And of course, we are always looking for uh, your data stories where you have them. So pitch us your Stories for our dashboard newsletter, wherever you can. Ooh, I, like, I like the way you got that one in Shameless, there, no, shameless. Well done, right well done. So, Sophia, you've always worked on the independent side. You were at Edelman and Launch Squad and now Source Code. So you don't have that quarterly results thing hanging over your head when you're in an independent like that, which I guess is quite a relief, isn't it? 
<laughs> I mean, yes, I guess that is the thing. But I feel like no matter what, I mean, on the agency side, you're always thinking about, you know, how each quarter in your clients. So I feel like differently, while maybe it's not for the business at a whole, I feel like we still have our our own, you know, goals and things that internal. we're working towards. To, yeah, there, yeah. There's still that internal, the, the internal pressure is still on it. You know, I'm we're not sure it is. Up. <laughs> yeah, it's just not uh, public to everybody else, which uh, yeah, yeah. Well, either, although we do try and dig around. but uh, And then let's move into just earnings generally, Frank, because I think we're everyone's looking at the economy. Everyone's thinking, are we heading to a recession? And again, there was a sort of mixed message, wasn't there, about amongst all the big companies, for example, the comparison between UPS and FedEx and then what Google's doing in P&G. Talk us through some of those big high-profile earnings reports. We'll do, and we'll start with tech. And we should note that the tech stocks have had a really rough year, most of them. Uh, Meta, for instance, is down a gigantic amount this year. But we'll start with Microsoft. Uh, they were dipping as much as 8% on Wednesday. Today is Wednesday when we're recording this, by the way. Um, and this is an interesting one because their income and their revenue both beat analysts' expectations. Uh, but the uh, stock was reacting to to weak guidance and uh, cloud revenue for the rest of the year. So it also shows how much the cloud revenue has an impact on the stock performance. Uh, Alphabet. CNBC headline today is that Alphabet is having its worst day since March 2020, which is not what you want to read if you're uh, – Alphabet, if you're, that's owner of Google, of course. Alphabet, yes. Yeah. Yes, and uh, their revenue growth has slowed to 6% from 41% a year earlier, so quite a dramatic thing there. And it missed analyst expectation on both the top and bottom lines. We've got a bunch of other ones getting away from tech. Kraft Heinz, up 2.9% to $6.5 billion, a net income of $432 million. But that's down from uh, over $700 million in the year earlier period. Um, this also includes a 15% increase in prices. So that shows you one way that inflation- Prices of retail or prices of, com- of commodities that they go into making their products. Not totally sure from this from this readout real quick, but it's um, it looks like it's consumer prices. Yeah. And that shows you how that, what an effect that is having. Now, earlier this week in some other sectors, there was a largely positive batch of earnings. GM uh, had good revenue, good profit, though it noted there are going to be a lot of headwinds throughout the rest of the year. Coca-Cola raised its annual outlook. It beat estimates. Uh, UPS topped profit estimates and stuck with its outlook from earlier in the year. So uh, definitely some positive ones as well. UPS caught my eye because FedEx released its numbers, I think, last week, and they were very negative and they got they got um, slammed, whereas UPS in the same industry had pretty, po- pretty positive numbers. Yes, that's correct. And, you know, people will wonder what the reason is for that. Is it the, you know, the global infrastructure? Is it management? Is it strategy? Whatever the case is. Yeah. And we've seen that uh, FedEx is losing market share, that Amazon has overtaken it already. And Amazon's coming for the other players as well, um, including UPS, but very competitive market. But so can we draw any conclusions? Is there a recession around the corner or not? Or is it a classic too early to say, Frank? I am so I I am a word person and not a number person and that means certainly not an economics person. But it, I was really struck by that survey that came out a month or two ago about uh, how you know more than ninety percent of financial executives believe there was going to be a recession coming and you you have to think that seems like it's a sure thing but we'll see. Well, you saw it's, yeah, one survey said that, but then another said only thirty percent. So it's it's all over the place. Yeah, Sophia, what do you? What are you feeling from your interactions with clients and at the agency, or is it just 
full speed ahead and, uh, you know, you're busy as usual? I mean, I'm personally easing on the side of of caution. I mean, I'm similar to Frank. I'm a words person, right? But I do think (laughs) that if everybody, I I kind of look to see that, you know, if everyone, if the concern is there and and what we've seen before and everything that's happened, I'm like, yeah, I'm going to sit here and look to, to, you know, making sure that we're, I think as a business, we just try to be ready, but um, do all we can. Yeah, for sure. Have... Uh, it's not a time for massive spending, I don't think. But um, yeah, we shall see how that plays out and we'll continue to cover it. Frank, one place where uh, companies are looking to get some more revenues is the Middle East. And uh, Davos in the desert this week is a place where everybody is scrambling around despite uh, concerns about human rights and some of the regimes in that region. Well, frankly, there doesn't seem to be that much concern about <laughs> human rights uh, in the region among the attendees. But um, so it's the Future Investment Initiative conference. Uh, it's in Saudi Arabia. A lot of, lot of bold-faced names from the financial sector are attending. That includes Jamie Dimon of J.P. Morgan, David Solomon of Goldman Sachs, Stephen Schwarzman of the Blackstone Group, and of course, Jared Kushner, who I'm just shocked to see associated with the Saudis in any way. Uh, so they're all over there. Uh, of course, Kushner uh, is running a private equity fund backed by Saudi Arabia. Okay, in the background here is, you know, of course, the Jamal Khashoggi murder. And I think that really shook the relationship that a lot of Western and then especially U.S. institutions have with Saudi Arabia, but also the deteriorating relationship between the U.S. and Saudi Arabia as the Saudis seem to be teaming up a bit more with the Russians on um yeah, President Biden had his fist bump with MBS, didn't he? But then yes. uh, the uh, they've um, stiffed him on oil. So, yeah, it's interesting stuff. Sophia, what, I mean, from a, from your perspective, we we hear a lot about how people don't want to work on certain types of clients, and you know that might be why they work for a certain agency versus another. What's your take on on this sort of thing? And does it matter to you where? What, what type of business your agency takes on. I'm assuming it does, given that you're in charge of the diversity marketing initiative. <laughs> yeah, your assumptions are right. I mean, I think it, I, I definitely believe that I think that, you know, we have to be able to think about just like, I mean, why we're doing what we're doing. Um, it does kind of feel like in instances like this, that money talks, but I feel like to be able to say that, okay, well, what do we value and in investing in that? I mean, at Source Code, that's very much what we stand behind. I think our our clients are really our partners and making sure that also like ethically that we're like, you know, on the same page too. And it's not just about, uh, it's not transactional. I will say that. Not dollars at all costs. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. Agree. Anyway, on to the big story of the week, Frank. McDonald's McRib has gone on tour. What's, uh, what's going on there? Well, it's a farewell tour. Uh, it's going to start on Halloween. I don't know why it's Halloween, but uh, the McRib farewell tour. It's going to start on, maybe they're hoping well, to drive. There's no more McRibs. Well, it looks like um, soon there definitely won't be. Uh, it's a barbecue pork sandwich. I, ca- I can't, maybe I had one in high school. It's been a long time. <laughs> That's uh, probably why like they're ending it, mate. Both that, both <laughs> that and the Choco Taco. You, where, you haven't had one since high school. <laughs> both, both that and the Choco Taco were highlights of my, my high school diet when I was burning 5,000 extra calories a day every day. Um, so <laughs> they're going to... need it for your running. <laughs> even, even that can't get there. Um, so maybe they're trying to drive organic adoption of McRib costumes for the McTofu. I don't know. The anyway, tofu sandwich. Can I, is there an opportunity there? I, I, well, 
In my neighborhood, there probably is. <laughs> for, for being honest. All right. Uh, the farewell tour between October 31 and November 20th and some brands, including Hot Wheels and Waze. Uh, and Slim Jim had some snarky comments and some things to say about it on Twitter. Good stuff. Sophia, you've moved back from New York to Dallas, different food um, priorities there. But what's your take on the end of the McRib and and how you activate all this stuff on social? Because it can be a lot of fun, can't it? And a lot of the brands get involved with each other. They do. I mean, McDonald's, their Twitter in particular, is uh, they have a great voice. I think their advertising. I mean, this really is just like the power of the brand, is it not? You know, like, look at what they've done. Even someone like me, I mean, of course, we all know McDonald's, but the way that I've followed this just because of like the conversations that you see. I mean, other times, like you watch how they may engage or was it... Um, I think it was like Arby's or Wendy's, like, you know, how they yeah. chime in with each other and the play and the banter. Um, I feel like it's social media at its finest. And so, yeah, I mean, I'm loving the farewell tour. I don't know if I'm sad. I'll, I'll probably just go have some really great Southern food over here, but uh, <laughs> it's great. It's cool to see. Yeah. Some good brisket or something else. Some good Texas exactly. food. Um, yeah, you're right. It's a bit of fun. And hey, we need a bit of fun these days, don't we? Um, so I'm all for it. And um, it gets good brand engagement for sure. Let's finish with uh, People Moves. Frank? On the move. Goldman Sachs has named Tony Fratto. Uh, he was an aide to President George W. Bush and an assistant secretary of treasury in that administration. He is moving to Goldman Sachs uh, as partner and global head of of corporate communications. Uh, he was most recently a senior partner at Penta, which was recently formed by the combination of six different agencies. He is also the co-founder of Hamilton Place Strategies uh, and a noted Steelers fan on Twitter. Tony, I'm also feeling your pain this year. <laughs> All right. Uh, Washington, <laughs> personal note yeah, Washington Post has hired Nike uh, alum Kathy Baird as chief communications officer. Uh, replacing Christine Karate Kelly in terms of the media brand's top communications role. The Washington Post is one of those brands, those media brands that is really interestingly, I think, you know, push their reporters out there and has the studio in the newsroom, you know, really gets people in front yeah, of the and cameras. Yeah, who's the Twitter, who's the person we had on uh, one of our lists who was in charge of their, was it? Their, their social media and their TikTok, yeah. 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 Um, and they've done some innovative things and really, you know, got buy-in from the newsroom to, to really, you know, get out there and participate in these things. So um, Kathy Baird has been at Nike since 2019, is Senior Director of Global Communications and has some experience on the agency side. Uh, in Ogilvy and at Fleischmann Hiller. We also have Chevron naming Sean McCormick as its VP of Communications. That's a loss for Trail Runner International, and he's also a veteran of the White House and of Boeing. Supporting up to Chevron VP of Corporate Affairs, Al Williams, and he's going to oversee corporate and brand communications, reputation management, employee, and executive comms. Uh, also, a busy week for alums of the Bush administration, the second one. Chris Haywood, a familiar face to the entire PR Week editorial staff. He will, he will pitch you some great events to attend in New York City. When he was uh, heading New York City's tourism uh, organization, he has moved to the Los Angeles Tourism and Convention Board as SVP of Global Communications, moving to L.A. with his family for this and reporting up to the CMO. Interesting here is that the... Is that a boomerang for him? It is a boomerang yeah. for him. He goes back to LA and it's an upgraded role. 
they have upgraded the top communications position to SVP level as they return from the pandemic and uh, try to get the name out there a bit more. Yeah, a little bit of East-West um, competition going on there. All right. Thank you, Frank. As always, great to have you on the show. Sophia, really great to chat to you and find out more about the Diversity Marketing Consortium. I notice you say consortium, I say consortium. Frank says Adidas, I say Adidas. So let's call the whole thing off. No, only joking. <laughs> um, it, was, <laughs> it was good to chat to you. And we wish you, you the best with, with the development of that brilliant uh, initiative. Thank you both. Yeah, I know it's been great chatting with you. And don't forget, 40 Under 40, the big night. It's uh, Thursday, 27th this week. It's going to be a brilliant night as always. The Hall of Fame. A lovely night too, um, the 5th of December in New York City, and we will be launching our healthcare conference and awards on the 8th of November. So do look out for that. But that's all we've got time for. We'll see you next time on the PR Week. <laughs>